Thank you for that, Linda. It's been great to listen to the Christmas story being brought to us over the past few weeks, and it's refreshing to gain a new sense of God's plan being communicated through his son who was revealed to us in the baby in the manger. Matthew chapter 2 starts with the words, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So the events of this passage didn't happen in the stable. The baby Jesus was no longer in the manger as Christmas cards and nativity scenes often imply. Rather, the arrival of the Magi may have been several months later. Let's read the passage together. It's found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And I'm going to read from the NIV. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of frankincense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The title for today's message is Wise Men Still Seek Him. So we're looking at the part of the Christmas story concerning the wise men, or the magi, as they're called in this passage. As we look at the magi, these wise men, I suggest there is much we can learn from their experiences and their encounter with Jesus. So I'd like to share with you three words that I think describe their experience, namely discovery, diversion, and devotion. Or we could say, they made a discovery, they ran into a diversion, and they expressed their devotion. In verse 1, we read that Magi from the east came to Jerusalem in search of one who has been born king of the Jews. This passage tells us that these, these wise men made a discovery that would change their lives forever. They discovered a star, a star that spoke of a king. But such was the significance of this king that they set out on a long journey to find him and to worship him. The first question that comes to my mind is, who were these wise men or these magi? Well, they were most likely people who knew a bit about the Old Testament writings, since they took such a particular interest in the one who was born King of the Jews. It is possible that they were Zoroastrian wise men from Persia, whose knowledge of the Hebrew Scriptures could be traced back to the time of Daniel. The truth is, we don't know much about them. 
But we can surmise, what we can surmise is that when they saw this star rising in, in the heavens, they recognized this as a fulfillment of a prophecy that they had read about. And now they wanted to be part of what they believed God to be doing. The likelihood is that they knew about the prophecy of Balaam recorded in Numbers 24, verse 17, which reads, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. If you have time later, I'd urge you to turn to the book of Numbers and read chapters 22 to 24, where you'll find the story of Balak summoning Balaam and attempting to persuade this prophet to prophesy a curse against Israel. God would not allow Balaam to do such a thing to the extent that every time Balaam opened his mouth to prophesy a curse, only a blessing came out. You'll also find the only occurrence of a speaking donkey in the Bible. Shrek, eat your heart out. But more of Balaam in a moment. So back to the Magi who saw a star that spoke of a king. It is obvious that in their minds, this king was so truly awesome that they were willing to make monumental changes in their daily lives to follow the star in order to find this king so that they could worship him. In verse 1, it says, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So another question that may arise in our minds is, where did the Magi come from? And how long did it take them to make the journey to Jesus? The Bible does not give us an exact location or country from which the Magi started their journey. So for this reason, we cannot know for sure how far they traveled. However, there are some theories. The Jews considered the area of northern Arabia, Syria, and Mesopotamia as the east. The city of Haran was located in the land of the people of the east, Genesis 29, verses 1 and 4. Also, the king of Moab brought Balaam from Aram, that is Syria, out of the mountains of the east, Numbers 23, verse 7 and 22, verse 5. Also, the prophet Isaiah spoke of Cyrus, the Persian, as the righteous man from the east, Isaiah 41, 2. So the Magi might have begun their travel from the east as being a vast area of Mesopotamia which could range from 400 to 700 miles depending on the region. Other theories would suggest that the wise men were from the same section of the east country as was Balaam, whose home was near the Euphrates, Numbers 22, verse 5. If this was true, then the Magi's trip to Bethlehem would have been around 400 miles long. A trip of 400 miles would have taken approximately two to three weeks on camel or around a month, or around a month on foot. If we assume that they traveled by night to be able to be guided by the star, this would mean that their journey would have taken even longer. Such a journey was no mean feat. It wasn't like a 400-mile journey we might make today as we hop into our car, set the sat-nav, and join the nearest motorway toward our destination. In order to ease the journey further, some cars include cruise control to enable accelerator-free driving, while others offer white-line navigation control to keep the car in the lane. How easy is that? Mind you, if our journey was to be longer, say we planned to drive to Paris, Madrid, or some other European capital in pre-COVID days, this would, of course, involve a rail or ferry journey. And so the route planning becomes more involved. We need to take our passports, provide additional insurance for the car, carry enough euros for food and other necessities, and we need to think of booking overnight stops. 
When you begin to talk like this, you realize how significant this journey, this particular journey, must have been for these wise men. Then what about the star that guided the Magi? One commentator gives these insightful thoughts. First, the scriptures mention that only the Magi saw the star. So the theory that maybe comets, conjunctions of stars, or supernovas are the reason behind the heavenly body of Bethlehem is not feasible because these heavenly activities would then be visible to everyone on earth, not just the Magi. And further, there is no historical record of such events. Second, the star went before the Magi and led them directly from Jerusalem to Jesus' house in Bethlehem. This is a distance of about six miles in a direction from north to south. However, every natural object in the sky moves from east to west due to the Earth's rotation. And it is also difficult to imagine how a heavenly light could lead the way to a particular house. So we can see that God miraculously gave his heavenly lights, possibly a cluster of angels, to guide the Magi to Jesus. We're not told exactly when the star rose in the sky. But judging by Herod's conversation with these men in verse 7, when he asked them the exact time the star appeared, it seems he believed that this might represent the time of the birth of this king of the Jews, whom he now took such a great interest in. Either way, these men knew that the star or guiding presence of God not only moved to guide them to their destination, but it was a sign to them of the birth of a very special king. So these men made a significant discovery. They discovered a new king of the Jews had been born. The news of this king so impacted them that they determined to respond, to plan, then to embark on a perilous journey of faith to a distant land where they hoped their search would be fruitful. They were abundantly convinced of the value of this endeavor. They were totally committed to a lengthy journey, and they were unerringly determined to find this king no matter the hardships they faced, nor the uncertainties and challenges that lay ahead of them. I wonder what discovery you have made about the child born to be king. Have you been drawn to the stable and the manger where the Christ child lay? Have you realized the significance of this child lying in the straw? I don't think even his mother Mary knew what lay ahead for her or for him. The words of that song come to mind. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Have you made that great discovery about the baby Jesus that he is the one who can deliver you and me from our sins? The next word that describes the experiences of these wise men I want to pose as a question. Were they diverted in their quest? You see, the destination of their journey was clearly Bethlehem. Yet they stopped at Jerusalem to look for the child. Did they assume that the king of the Jews would be found in the capital of Judaism, namely the city of King David himself? I expect they did. And you know what assume does? It makes an ass out of you and me. Verse 2 says that the wise men asked 
where they could find the one who was born king of the Jews. The MacArthur Study Bible points out that the word asked in this verse is written in the present participle, which conveys the idea of continuous action. It suggests they went around the city questioning everyone they met until eventually word got back to King Herod that there was talk of a new king of the Jews. So the question is, did they allow themselves to be diverted to Jerusalem because of the normal expectation that the king of the Jews would be found in that city? And had they allowed their previous focus on the star to be neglected to the point where they lost their direction altogether? If so, their diversion was to prove very costly for many families. For when Herod got to hear about this new king, he was determined to ensure that no baby king would make it beyond boyhood. So in verse 16, we read that King Herod gave orders to kill all the boys under the age of two in Bethlehem and the surrounding area. Just a side thought here. Have you ever considered the tragic and needless death of all those innocent boys? How could anyone comfort their mothers? Notice the passage from Jeremiah 31, verse 15, quoted here in verse 18. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Have you lost a son, perhaps, or a daughter in tragic circumstances? Have you ever been tempted to ask, where is God in this tragedy? Those mothers were not to be comforted even if the death of their son was, was as quick and as painless as possible. Yet here is God protecting his son by helping him flee for safety to another country, thus making him a refugee. Why? Because 33 years later, God would watch his own son suffer a far more cruel and slow death as he was nailed to a wooden cross and left to die bearing your sin and mine. Herod set himself against God, and there was no end, it seemed, to the evil in his heart. The saying is true that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. I wonder, is there a problem with your heart today? If so, bring it to the one who made that heart and can change it and make it new. So the Magi neglected their focus on the star and allowed themselves to be diverted with such tragic consequences. And yet in all of this we see God's hand, for in this diversion to Jerusalem, we see a provision God made for his people, for their religious leaders, and even for this evil man Herod, to pursue a path of faith and hope by following the dedicated example of the wise men from the east to the house in Bethlehem where they met Jesus the king. You see, the religious leaders clearly knew the significance of this little town that lay just six miles south. But they weren't prepared to put their faith in their own writings that spoke of the king who would be born there. Nor would they follow the wise men to worship him. It's significant to recognize that when they quoted the passage in Micah 5 verse 2, they omitted to complete the quote, thereby missing a significant truth. The whole verse reads, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be rulers, ruler over Israel, whose origins are of old, 
from ancient times. When quoting to Herod, they omitted the words whose origins are of old from ancient times. The word translated here as old is used only two other times in the Old Testament, both times of God, in Habakkuk 1.12 and Deuteronomy 33.27. In Micah, it's describing the restorer who would come in the future. He would be born through a woman's labor, Micah 5.3, yet at the same time, he is everlasting, eternal, from of old. These religious leaders knew this child was supremely significant, yet they failed to acknowledge their responsibility to accept him as from God and refused to seek him out and worship him. Maybe they feared King Herod's reaction had they completed the Micah quote in full and explained its significance. For Herod was known to be an extremely violent man, unafraid to kill those who stood in his way. In this diversion which the Magi ran into, we can see a God-given but lost opportunity to pursue a life of faith. Lost perhaps due to fear, perhaps due to a desire to ignore the truth because of the potential cost to themselves. I wonder, have you allowed yourself to run into a diversion in your life of faith? Maybe you once went to church. Maybe you even walked with God and enjoyed his love and forgiveness in your life. But something happened. And you let the focus on the Lord be diverted and focus on something or someone who let you down. Maybe it was just a wrong word, a thoughtless word, a sideways glance, or maybe even a full-on stab in the back from another Christian. We're all broken people, hurting people, and sometimes we hurt each other. The day Margaret and I were married, my dad gave us a small gift. It was an ornament of two hedgehogs, made out of smooth marble. As it was passed along the table to us, each person enjoyed the soft, smooth feel of the marble. Then Dad reminded us that we're all like hedgehogs. We all have prickles, and we end up hurting each other if we're not careful. He urged us to work at our relationships so as to keep our accounts short with each other and not allow hurts to build up. At times, we allow, allow others to hurt us. At times, other times, we hurt others. And we can even become quite good at getting the point in where we know it hurts. Don't let your journey of faith run into a diversion and miss the opportunity of meeting the King and allowing Jesus to minister to you in your need and using you to minister to others in their need. The Magi were diverted. Don't fall into the same trap. So notice what happened when they left King Herod, verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. The star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, and when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. That's it. They rediscovered an old friend, the star that they should have been focusing on all the time. They, in effect, rediscovered the directing presence of God. And they were overjoyed. That's the key to real joy, to rediscovering God's presence in your life. For the wise men, this diversion helped focus their search because now they knew exactly where to find this child born to be king. 
and the star that had guided them from the east once more came into sight and moved to guide them to the very house where they found Jesus and his mother Mary. And this brings us to the third word that I believe describes the experience of these men, and that is devotion. They devoted themselves to Jesus. Verse 11 tells us, On coming to the house, they saw the child where his mother Mary, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. On seeing Jesus, the wise men bowed down and worshipped him. This was what they had been looking forward to for so long. And it was what kept them going on their long journey and possibly arduous journey. It was the fulfillment of the prophecy that had spurred them on. Here was the king in all of his humble glory. And here they were in all their earthly finery, face down on the floor in front of him. What an amazing image and what astounding truth. They must have been weeping with joy for their journey's end was wonderfully fruitful. We don't have time to examine the nature of their gifts, but suffice to say that each gift reflected a key element of the, of the Christ child's nature while providing a prophetic insight into his future ministry. Gold for a king, the one who in Revelation 17, 14 was called the king of kings. Frankincense for a priest, the one who in the words of Psalm 110 verse 4 would be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And myrrh, a perfume in the sacred anointing, oil used in the temple. Then on the day of Jesus' death as part of a drink offered to him on the cross and later for embalming his body. So myrrh speaks of his sacrificial death on the cross for us. This is the child Jesus, the one whom the wise men sought. And you know, wise men and women still seek him. Wise men and women still rearrange their whole lives in order to pursue him and his glory in their lives. Wise men and women still embark on amazing journeys of faith and cross continents in his name to tell others about him. Wise men and women still offer him their gifts, maybe not of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but of their time, their talents, their careers, their money, their abilities, so that he might use them for his glory and touch other lives through them. Wise men and women still seek him through the darkness of loss, as many have done in our fellowship in recent weeks. Wise men and women still seek him through their tears as they are confronted by their own sin. For on the cross, his broken body bore the scars for your sin and mine, so that we might be forever forgiven and set free from the punishment and guilt of our sin. Remember the words of the angel to Joseph that his name would be called Jesus, for he would save his people from their sins. So we stand on the threshold of a new year. And while looking back, we see so much that has caused us pain and hurt. Let's follow those wise men who followed the star, who made an extraordinary discovery that Jesus is the king, not only of the Jews, but of all humanity, whose diversion led to an understanding and insight into their quest, and whose devotion to him was seen in their worship of him. Will you be one of those wise men and women who seek him in 2021? Let's pray together.
our God, we bow before you and we acknowledge your goodness to us and your love for us. We thank you, Lord, for the story of Jesus who came as a baby. And we thank you for the way that his life impacted so many others. We thank you for these wise men who sought him, who made that arduous, lengthy journey, who, although allowing themselves to be diverted for these moments in Jerusalem, Lord, in, allowed that to refocus their search and once again turn their eyes back onto the star, your presence that guided them right to the very house where this child was. And we thank you, Lord, that through that diversion, they came afresh to that point of devotion as they bowed before him. Lord, help us, Father, to look beyond 2020 and look in faith to 2021, that whatever perhaps has caused us pain in this past year, we might be giving over to you and trusting to you, that you might forgive and cleanse and help us, Lord, to be renewed by your Holy Spirit, that we might be enabled once again to follow the star, to follow your guiding presence in our lives, and to walk by faith, not by sight, into all that you have for us in 2021. So we give you thanks for your word today. Ask your blessing and your presence with us, because we ask all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.